This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Wonders and pleasantries. What are we talking about today, Puka? Today, we will be going through the third Kiss book of the original Kiss book series, kind of straddling the line between first edition and second edition, is Kiss book Knockers. And to discuss that Kiss and some of their implications for the Changeling world, we have special guest Charles Siegel with us. Welcome, Charles. Hi. Uh, Changeling isn't my usual game, but I certainly have opinions on this book. Huzzah. We love opinions. Okay, so Charles, um, as you said, you're not that into Changeling, although we've been maybe getting you more. Yeah, between you guys and Victor, yeah, uh, I've, I've been more and more interested in Changeling. I just haven't done the sort of deep dive that I have with Mage and Wraith. Okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in relation to... Kithbook knockers. <laughs> so I am what the Kithbook wants the knockers to be. I'm a Jewish scientist. Okay. And I have opinions on both of those parts. And you're also big in the world of darkness. Yeah, I, I frequently appear on the World of Dark, Darkness podcast universe. Yes. Also a lot of storyteller supplement. A lot of them. You're big in that world, I'd say. And I, t- and I try to help others get in there too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So but how's your swearing? My Yiddish is a bit rusty, but I don't know. I, I, I'm also kind of of the opinion, and this is a place to start, that specific curses in um, things like the Knockers are less effective than comic book style censorship, where you just kind of mm-hmm. mash a bunch of symbols and let the audience fill it in, because it both lets them pick whatever the most obscene thing they can think of is, and also it's funny by itself. Yeah. my strong. This is my strongest opinion on cursing and Knockers. And there's actually, okay. like, yeah, there is in this book a fair amount of word count devoted to that, which is, uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay, so Kith Book Knockers was written by Christopher Howard and Ethan Skemp, although it says Christopher Howard is the big name and then Ethan Skemp is a short story, developed by Ken Cliff and Ian Lemke. And yeah, this is published in 1997. And as Puka said, it's kind of, it was definitely, you can tell, it started development well before second edition core book came out, but it sort of seemed like it was developed in the same, along the same time. We're back to having full color pages, and yet we have the second edition border and layout and everything, so. Mm-hmm. I do also like how on the credits page we get a tilt at Team War Balloon, like right from the start. Yes. That's one. This is a, I'm going to keep count. Yeah, so so one of the positive things would be, I, I know a friend of the show, Terry Robinson, would like the balloon quantity of this book. So this starts out has starts out with a story and a piece of art actually related to the story right before it. Yep, this is presumably Ethan Skemp's contribution. Yes. Yeah. And so this this story I like. I, I, yeah. Yeah, this was great. Like this was this was a great start to the book. Book it really had me hyped for what for what was next, even though I knew what was coming. Yeah. <laughs> so so Puka, why don't you just give a brief rundown of what the story is? Oh sure. Uh, so it is the story of Brimstone Jill, who then became known as Blistertongue Jill, and the origins of the Basilisk Stones, 
that can absorb all the swearing what knockers do. And much like the other Kith books, this is sort of a kind of a drift in time origin story for the knocker frailty, sort of. And Josh, I think it actually ties in better with your opinion that the knocker frailty is really one of perfectionism more than anything else. But it's sort of... Yeah, or it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And it sort of talks about how knocker cursing was their way of like venting their frustrations when they were working on crafting. The basilisk stones were introduced to absorb that venomous energy, which would otherwise destroy their creations. And then Blister Tongue Jill was one of the foulest mouthed but most talented war machine creators of the knockers. So she gets hired by this duke named Owlsbane, who basically stiffs her on the giant war machine that she creates. So she goes to the basilisk stone and vents her spleen to the point that it shatters. All of the knocker swears that were contained therein flood across the land, killing birds and plants and whatnot. But I do kind of like how the takeaway at the end of this is that the knocker who created it was like, you know what? Just just swear to your heart's content. Just do it. And that has defined the conception of the knockers, at least according to this story, just as much as their crafting and the perfectionism, etc. So it's good. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. And I will say that the perfectionism, cursing, and talent at building things often do go together in my experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's there's some study they did where they said people who swear above a certain frequency are demonstrably more creative or something, or maybe have a bigger vocabulary or both. But I take solace from that. Well, at some point, you kind of have to be, because otherwise you're just repeating the same like three words over and over and over again. You get true. bored with that. Absolutely true. Like I know I've worked a few places where they take the software developers and they have to move them aside because mm-hmm. everyone else gets annoyed by the... And other engineering type or developer types or whatever, maker types from the swearing that comes out. Yeah, I... I have definitely seen people go into like the little one person phone booth offices just to let loose when they're when their code's not working. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think I can do debugging with without swearing. So that takes us into chapter one, just us and the mechanical egg. And I'm suspecting, Charles, you're like me and thinking this is more of a mixed bag, this chapter, than the <laughs> story. <laughs> y- yeah. Um I, I don't know which side to focus on first. So I'll start with making knockers kind of vaguely Jewish was a choice. Mm-hmm. And it was not a choice that I would have made. Yeah. And it's it's definitely halfway Jewish, I'd say. Like, like if you it, look at the lexicon, so, so early on they have this whole lexicon and it explicitly says it's a mix of 1940s Bowery slang, Yiddish, medieval English, and Irish, which is... But then look at the actual lexicon. Yes. Yeah. And it's not. Considering that knockers have shown up in significant numbers in New York in previous things, mm-hmm. I would have very little problem if there was like a Yiddish word or two peppered in along with a bunch of Italian and Irish and so on and all the immigrant communities from, you know, the pre-World War II era in New York. But that's not what they did. It's close to what they said they did. And they also there is s- randomly one Spanish word. Yeah. But they also have the the capital of knockers or whatever is in Halifax. And I mean, that's definitely not a Jewish community. Gen- I mean, uh, of the places in Canada, that's not where you'd pick. And also why? There's a very real possibility that the only best inn in Halifax is the Knocker one. 
Yeah. And the only requirement for that in Jewish law is three Jewish adults who know the law. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. The, I don't know about the Jewish community in Halifax. It's definitely not known for this. It's not like New York City or Montreal. Or, well, but isn't Halifax also traditionally like an industrial center? Like historically, wasn't that part of Halifax? It's a shipping thing? center. So okay. according to Google, in 2011, Halifax had about 2,000 Jews. Yeah. This is not a big community. Yeah. Slightly fewer than New York. <laughs> but it also doesn't make sense as a, to me as a knocker home yeah, in like, North America either. Maybe it's where Chris Howard lives and he just wanted to <laughs> get it in there. You know, Who knows why authors make the choices they do sometimes. They have a pretty good physics department. That's about as, most, as close yeah. as I can get. Yeah, if... if you want to lean in on the on the Jewish angle. You make New York the center. If you want to lean in on the building things, including big stupid things, mm-hmm. uh, and you want to stay and you want to stay in the U.S. Pittsburgh's right there. Yeah, but they're not in the U.S. They're I, I know. Canada. Like the, if if they had picked Montreal, at least well, then the swear words would have been very different for one thing. But oh, I love Montreal it's... swearing. <laughs> no, they probably had a Yiddish swear dictionary or something. Yeah. And they only included like one word, sw- you know, swears. None of the yeah. like actually interesting curses. Like I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna throw the Yiddish at you. But like my favorite Yiddish insult, you know, suggestion is, uh, "May you have a sweet death, run over by a sugar truck." Mm-hmm. Like that feels like something a knocker would say to someone. Yep. There's also the reference to Irish here reminds me of some of the old Irish curses that are things like "May the seven dogs of hell bark in at your soul case" or something, and. But that's that's a proper curse. That's not just frustrated swearing. Oh yeah, I, I'm picturing the handshake meme, you know, Irish and Yiddish on the, on this topic. There you go. Uh, there's not one bit of medieval English in this. Yeah. Like looking through, I'm like, there is not one medieval English word. And, and then of course, there's the Jewish concepts that are just built in, and it seemed like every time they had a choice to pick, that Chris Howard had a choice to pick a culture to draw from to put something in, it was always. Ashkenazi Jewish culture, Be- even to the point where Bezdin is the Ashkenazi Hebrew pronunciation of the word that comes through Yiddish. It's not the modern Hebrew or the Sephardic term. It's just specifically Yiddish. But then you also have, mm-hmm. you know, later on, we've got golems, we've got gematria. Which they could have done the gematria thing if they wanted to. It didn't. It got appropriated before Kabbalah was invented. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, and that was quite a while ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but yeah. In in general, any one of these things would probably be less weird. Mm-hmm. But having all of them, and uh, later in the book, he draws attention to a sanitized version of the myths that knockers come from originally, mm-hmm. uh, where they are the ghosts of Jewish miners. Which indicates that he does, in fact, know something about, like, he's doing this on purpose. It's not just like, oh, I like Jewish culture, so I'm going to make the knockers Jewish. He knows that the original Cornish myths tie into this. And what he didn't include was why the ghosts are stuck in the mine, and that gets into very questionable territory. It also kind of raises a question of anachronism, because there are references elsewhere in the book about Arcadian knockers versus earthbound knockers. And, and like any of the kiths, knockers presumably have been around in some form for thousands of years. So like to tie it to that really very specific myth, specific in place, and I imagine pretty specific in time, like you could probably trace when that myth arose. It seems weird to have that be the dominant thread 
or in some places, the only thread that's running through yeah. the write-up here. Well, it also, also when it explicitly talks about the myth, it's the sale, it's like the, the author is skeptical of that being the origin. But yeah, that's bringing it up. Well, at this point, in yeah. this chapter, he is. <laughs> yeah. And elsewhere. I, I think that the funniest part of it, too, is that when the knocker myths came from Cornwall to the U.S., which is and, and North America in general, which is where basically all of this is set, the Jewish connection disappeared entirely. <laughs> Yeah. Like no no one looks at like no one goes to West Virginia and talks about Tommy knockers and thinks that there's Jew, that there's Jews involved. Mm-hmm. So all around it's a strange choice. Yeah. But trying to think about the motivation of why he might have done this. Like reading through this I was trying to kind of pinpoint that idea like why did this work its way in and become so prominent. And I can imagine that he started with Goblin Town, which was his write-up in Freeholds and Hidden Glens about the giant knocker freehold under Manhattan, and then followed that to Golems, which, to be fair, if you're going to give them to any kith and changeling, it would probably be the knockers because they're the ones who do the crafting. And then just kind of the significance of Ashkenazi Jewish immigration to New York specifically Um you know, so like those pinpoints and then the minor story, but all yeah. of that, I keep feeling like it's fine to have it all there in some form, I guess, but to like lean so hard into it and go down these research rabbit holes and be like, let's get Gematria in there too. Yeah. Like you said, that was a choice. It's the Gematria. It's the patent office being the Hebrew phrase right. for like seat of judgment uh, or seat of justice yeah. and uh, you know having almost all of their slang be be derived from like no one who doesn't speak yiddish or isn't from new york specifically says the word mishagas right yeah like looking at this uh, having schlock makes sense to me schlock is fine glitch glitch is fine because glitch is also yiddish oh i didn't know that oh yeah it it, uh, means to slip uh so it comes it comes from machines breaking which perfect like i'm fine with that because also glitch has become part of the general english lexicon but like, if you're watching someone on TV and they have a character say "bubkiss," you know they're telling you something mm-hmm. about the character. And, and then there's that picture on page fifteen. Ah, uh, yes, infamously, <laughs> which is one of those fun stories of um, the word means shit in in Yiddish, and that's what was in mind. But a different word that is spelled the same has become prominent on the internet in the last few years. Yeah. I won't say that picture hasn't aged well, but it's certainly aged in a direction. Yes. I, my favorite piece of art in the book is on, isn't until page 22, and we'll get there. So I was just going to give like a brief... Yeah, so we should probably actually talk about the history as written here somewhat. Yeah. History is a, a very loose word because it kind of flies through thousands of years of it without really stopping to catch its breath. Mm-hmm. Certainly compared with some of the other books. Yeah, it's basically the geek myth, I'd almost call it. Like the like the way they describe knockers is like everyone else beat them up mm. and no one liked them until they learned how to make really good tools and then and weapons and then they got a bit of respect out of it. That's how I I wonder how much of that is attempting to kind of wink and nudge in the direction of anti Semitism. Mm. Hmm. It, it's hard to see anything new anything like neutrally once you realize just how pervasive Oh, the knockers are Jewish is in this book. Yeah. But also it's unclear how much of it is intentional, how much of it is just unconscious bias, and how much of it is coincidence at times. 
there's things in this if you do read it that way and it's like okay that's forms of anti-semitism i'm not aware of which doesn't mean it doesn't happen but i'm like but the extreme swearing like is that one that comes out that jewish people swear all the time uh, yiddish does have a reputation as a language for as a good language for swearing but it's not like a long-standing stereotype that i'm aware of uh, i'm much yeah. more concerned about the fact that throughout the book as a whole knockers are portrayed as pretty greedy i was gonna say the thing about when we get to the Sealy code and the sort of monetary terms in which things like debts are discussed, I was like, I just want to tear this page. It's out. very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But again, we'll get there. I think actually Charles, you had commented in the process of preparing for this episode, man, it just gets worse as you go. Doesn't it? Yeah. Though at some point my, my ire did switch from really, really that about Judaism to really, really that you're that wrong about science. <laughs> Well, and on that note, we do have a sidebar about Leibniz, so... Oh, God. So the claims in the sidebar are factually incorrect. Mm. Newton did not, in fact, steal credit for calculus from Leibniz. They did, in fact, independently discover it. There are so many thousands of reasons that a changeling yeah. can hate Newton. You don't need to make one up. Yeah, that's not even the myth that Newton stole it, the the myth was that Leibniz stole it. <laughs> like that's yeah the, yeah. the popular conception is that Leibniz stole it. The truth is that Newton did it, but didn't publish it, but he published results based on it. So we know he had it from historical analysis. Leibniz published it. And then Newton mm -hmm. said, well, that's nothing special. I've already had that for 20 years. And then continental and English physics and math went their separate ways, mostly cursing at each other and, occasionally sending death threats. Newton wasn't a cool dude. He was kind of a big, mm -hmm. giant asshole. There's a reason that Mage, that Mage has a book that says that he was a technocrat and everyone hated him, and then he was finally shot and killed in the 1930s, which is the single best use of a historical figure in the world of darkness, I'm just going to say. <laughs> because it is completely accurate. Everyone hated Newton. No one hated him more than his friends. So yeah, there's so many reasons for changelings to hate Isaac Newton. Why make one up? It's just yep. a weird choice. And they could have even just taken this and tweaked it slightly, and then it'd be correct. Like, it, yeah. And the best part is that, ironically, Leibniz's version of calculus is the one that won. Like, like yeah. that's the one that we teach in college these days. So when calculus is taught in college, because I've never taken calculus at the college level, do they also cover monadology? Because that's also attributed to him in the sidebar. No, no one covers monadology. Maybe like except for in like some philosophy classes that are mostly about. Well, this was kind of incoherent. I'd love to take that class. Yep. Monad is a word throughout philosophy and mathematics and various that Oh yeah. I can't see any through line for it. Like it gets used in like group theory. Group theory. I was thinking of um the thing that gets used in functional programming all the time. Oh anyway. yeah. Well it, yeah, it's, it's the same yeah. usage. A, a, mo a monad is a set with an operation that is associative. The thing that's like a burrito. <laughs> yeah, kind of, more or less. That was a famous talk. Somebody said that. What infamous talk? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the thing is, monad is just sort of a noun form of mono. So yeah. it comes up independently in dozens of places. Mm -hmm. There's only so many ways for turning things like mono into nouns. Yeah. It's also used in like theology and all this. Anyway. It's... Well, that I think has more to do with Leibniz than, it, than the Matthews does. Yeah. But we'll talk about monads later. Yeah. So for the history, we have more about the Accordance War than like the entirety of the Industrial Revolution in the 20th century, both of which seem like they would be pretty relevant to knockers. But 
page 17 does flat out say, here we have direct quote, technology doesn't equal banality. It's that simple. So there you go. That's probably the most useful piece to take out of this chapter. Yep. That and the pinup picture of King Daveth uh, on that same page. Oh, one more thing I just want to draw attention to for a moment. We've talked about how Jewish the knockers are. Take a look at what they actually mentioned about World War II. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was like staring at that paragraph like, that's it? That's all you're going to say? This is just an odd... Like, like, you would think that this would be, with how clearly in, this intends to tie knockers to the Jewish community, yep. even, if you're t- even if you're focusing even on the American Jewish community, you'd have something to say about, you know, the things in World War II that weren't... Yeah, that weren't they, Manhattan they do have that later for one of the characters, but that right. didn't have to... Just even an acknowledgement that something important happened to the Jewish community in the ni- in, during World War II... <laughs> I almost get the feeling from that paragraph in particular, but then this chapter as a whole, like maybe this was kind of, well, almost certainly this was written after there was that authorial choice to link the kits so closely to Judaism and almost realizing, like getting to World War II and being like, oh no, I'm not at all qualified to write about this. I'll just skip it, you know? And it's just like, should that not have been a flag that maybe this was not the direction for you to go in? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, page 16, which there's a lot to talk about on page 16 alone. We've got the World War II bit. We've got Leibniz and Newton. But we also have the first mention of crossover. Yes. We have the Brethren of Aether. Which I like that they hang out. I mean, it makes total sense. There are many times where the world of darkness fails to make sense because two groups, two subgroups that would absolutely interact with each other never mention each other. Mm. It is weird yeah. how far out of its way werewolf books go to never say <laughs> dream speaker. Yeah, this seems like... Actually, does Mage ever mention... Do you recall Mage ever mentioning knockers when talking about the... Of course Mage doesn't. The, the mists make sure. Yeah. It's always, yeah, there's a lot of like, because there are, there are other World of Darkness books that talk about Changeling, and then you have the Changeling stuff, and it's not the same. It doesn't go both directions. That, that, yeah. More generally, though, one of the things that I found really frustrating about this, and any Kith book that kind of elides the role of, of the Changelings kind of in the mortal world so there's a fair number of words spilled on how the knockers are kind of resistant to banality because they've always been close with technology and they've always been close with mortals. And that kind of has helped them keep pace with change in the autumn world more than a lot of other kids. And that I feel like is a really meaty, valuable thing to dig into. And when you're looking at it from a historical perspective, the industrial revolution part is criminally short. There could have been talk about during the interregnum, working within craft guilds or the age of inventions, all of that stuff. And it's just not mentioned like any of it. So it's just, ah, the enlightenment sucked. Okay. And then we have sidebars on profanity and the profanity. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing in this, like beforehand and afterwards, it might be like offhand saying, oh, knockers swear a lot or something. This just really digs into it in a way that I don't like it. It's like gives them a second flaw frailty or something. Well, it actually gives them a bit of a birthright in this final sidebar because they have the one swear word in their brains that if they invoke it, it does chimerical damage equal to their glamour to everybody within hearing range. So (laughs) yeah, armor does not protect against this damage and it cannot be soaked. That's huge. That's like giving slow the ability to see ghosts, which made more sense. 
it, it's also just so blatantly an English speaker made up a word. Right. Like it just stinks of like seven year old seven year old sat down and threw some syllables together and pretended it was obscene. Do you know what it actually reminds me of the most is Joe Pesci in the Home Alone films, just kind of like muttering incoherently to himself as he like staggers around the house. At least we get another flying machine at the end. Not a balloon, but... Yeah. Yep. An ornithopter. Yeah. With a claw and Gatling gun. I think it also has a ray gun. Yeah, that looks like a ray oh, gun Oh, maybe, me. yeah, yeah. A Gatling ray gun, perhaps. Now that's knocker tech. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And it takes us into a picture of a of a knocker classroom uh, with a very Harry Potter looking kid in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. This this book came out the same year that the first Harry Potter book did, and uh, two different portrayals of goblins as Jewish. Yeah. And I know goblins are a separate thing in Changeling, but you know, knockers are still kind of goblinish. Well, not really a separate thing. Yeah. They're Thalian knockers. Yeah, they're they're different enough that they have their own that they that the word goblin is also a term in changeling. Yeah, but no, even before this, they did establish knocker goblin as a term for unsealing knocker yeah. was established way before this book. Similar to ogres and trolls. Wait for unsealing knocker or, th- or um. Well, first for unsealing knocker, and then when they invented the Thalian, that's where they they called yeah. the Thalian that. I can never keep track of the various types of changeling that all end in lane. <laughs> Thalane are the bad ones. Thalane are the bad ones. Galane are just not Kithane, right? Yep. Right. Chapter two. Axel's Gears in Greece. Society. In which we learn that unsealy knockers apparently outnumber sealy ones by three to two. Okay. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the ratio before, but we did have more unsealy than sealy. They were they're one of the seal. Do other kids books give like ratios like that? Mm, I can't recall any. I mean, red caps, maybe because they're like the traditionally all unsealy ones but otherwise like like i will say it it does seem at least somewhat thematic to me for the knocker book to have the most numbers in it mm. yeah and giving a th- ratio like three to two is a much more reasonable thing to do than any time that world of darkness gives a population number <laughs> or a weird percentage with too many points of uh 23.7 percent of knockers are sealed yeah at like 40 percent ish whatever yeah. plus or minus a point of glamour so we get some info about the courts. And I found this chapter's tone a little bit weird. It's like semi-in character, which gets distracting. I don't know what to do with that, but it's a it's a feel. And this is where some of the awkward stuff comes in again as it kind of goes through the knocker's attitudes towards the Sealy Code and the Unsealy Code. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's where a lot of the greed stuff really comes in. But we kind of already mentioned that, so I don't feel a need to address yeah. it in more detail. Um, yeah. Love that the Knockers are canonically Evangelion fans on page 22. Okay. Yes. <laughs> this book came out contemporaneously with the with the first English translation of Evangelion also. 1997 was a year. There's <laughs> a lot going on. It's a little strange how there's very little about actual Knocker society, like how they interact with each other, how they interact with the idea of the S-Cheat, or other parts of Changeling Society. We get perspectives on other kith, which are about as frustrated and venomous as one would expect from a knocker stereotype section. Stereotypes they have, that is. But, yeah, like... Yeah, the, a significant fraction of which are yeah, have nicknames for them in Yiddish, just right. you know, noting and moving <laughs> on. Just to reinforce that point, I do like that they're mentioned to be some of the most fashion of all Changelings. I like that being in there. Yeah, that's 
honestly great and as far as i can tell doesn't come from any from anywhere that's questionable so yeah yeah mm-hmm. so your knocker should be dressed like an absolute lunatic and making it look good yes gears everywhere or something no it's just elaborateness that's the yeah, knockers definitely look at the steampunk aesthetic and clothing and and think, well, that's yeah. a boring way to dress. Where's the color? Where's the it, flash? Yeah. I like the I like, the knocker fashions borrow from every age, combining the elegance of high sheave voile with the decadence of seventeenth century front court and the quirkiness of mod and new wave movements. I'm trying to visualize that, and it's difficult, <laughs> but I'm into it. I mean, yeah, very very briefly, just to kind of summarize the stereotypes that are listed. The knockers, I think. I think it's fair they to say really hate boggins. They loathe the boggins, <laughs> or, or they're very horny for boggins. Well, they they don't like the competition and the toy making. Apparently, well, no one's ever been horny for someone they hate. But boggins, they mostly hate and view as competition mm-hmm. because there's already a kith that kind of covers basic tinkering. Yeah, and that was fun to play at a LARP. That I find that that's something I bring in. I like doing is the rivalry between boggins and knockers with most of the boggins going what are the knockers doing i think you might have actually been thinking of satyrs because they kind of just hate puka also they kind of hate everyone yeah which i think was unnecessary well they're afraid of slua to some extent yeah which i think is sensible i think part of this is there was a bunch of stuff about knockers that were established before this book I can't say there was never any kind of Jewish connection, but like this is like way more than anything before this book. But then they bringing in the other stereotypes from Knockers that they've already established. It does not go well. Yeah, like before this uh, really doubled down on Jewishness. How much did the Knockers just hate everyone? Oh, that was already there. They were okay. not. They were. They were supposed to be super cranky, cankerous always criticizing cranky doesn't mean hates everyone though and this doesn't come off as i'm grumpy about puka it comes off as i wish harm upon them yeah that had some of it i think that's unnecessary honestly um i can tell you that if i were you know in a game playing a knocker yeah i would absolutely be playing the one-sided rivalry with the boggins to the hilt Mm -hmm. i'd probably be mildly annoyed at puka but that was it but that was the most i i'd go like this now a puka slipping on a banana peel and gouging his eyes out on scraps of rusty iron. That's comedy. No, that's that's unnecessary. Yeah, that was. And I probably would also, and that's just because I'm me, uh, switch the weird hate horny for um, opinion of the satyrs and put that on Slua. Yeah. <laughs> which which the satyrs do as well. That works. Well, the, the satyrs do that for everyone, though. Yeah, but especially yeah. the Slua. The Slua are like the, oh. the ultimate challenge or whatever it is. But, like, pic- picture a knocker and a slew, and you've got kind of the <laughs> garish, brightly colored fashionista yeah. and the goth. Mm-hmm. And that's a trope for a reason. I mean, Lord knows I've been there enough times. Yeah, absolutely hate the she. Everyone should hate the she. And the trolls would annoy them. I, I, can't, I can definitely see the trolls annoying them. But I think Puka would mostly annoy. Trolls would mostly annoy. Slua, they would hate how much they mm-hmm. want them. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even objecting to writing it in a visceral tone because the knockers speak in that way, mm-hmm. but it's coming across less as tone and more as content, how much they just dislike everyone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I find mis- misanthropy is boring. <laughs> Unless there's a good reason behind it. Misanthropy for one character can be interesting, but misanthropy applied to an entire splat. Yeah. 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 And th- this is, what's, I can't remember where it was. It was later in the book. 
there was an author being some voice being really horny for Puka, but I can't remember. It's it's in the courtly love section. We'll get there. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So it's not like this is one voice, but well, that's the thing. It's it's like I said, it kind of goes back and forth between in character and out, and it's sometimes like the stereotypes are all quite clearly in character, but then it it sort of dips back out. So yep, you know. But we get opinions on Galen and and Fubars, which. Wait, does this mean Fubars are Galen? Well, it's Galen and others. So, yeah, they're Kimura. Yeah. yeah. Like, the prodigals are all... It's hard to tell what the font size is, but I think prodigals might also be a subset of others. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's the same level. That's the same level header. Then again, it's not like White Wolf mm-hmm. was careful about header sizes, cons- you know, generally speaking. A little weird calling them Fubars, I'm just going to say. Just yeah. doesn't fit to me. Mm-hmm. Will the Wisps, you know being basically a little chimerical power source Mm -hmm. i'm cool with that that's interesting yeah the book lampshades why something was a bad naming decision though yeah golem to make a golem not to be confused with the inanime race of the same name like well then maybe you should not have used the word golem so many times no well then they ended up being gloams so (laughs) it's like they changed it maybe because of this book i don't know (laughs) There is no one anime called Golems, no. Okay, just that's <laughs> funny. Also, they shouldn't call something an automata. Just yeah. Not that hard to. Yeah, robots. But something. D&D, but D&D has convinced everyone that Golems are a general thing instead of a specific thing. Right. Yeah, like they're not a robot. Like, they should have some sort of clockwork man type thing. Like that would be cool, and not what Golems would bring up. And yeah. The author's clearly aware of the original story, the uh, the old stories. Uh, I I don't want to say yeah. original because golems actually appear in documents that are about two thousand years old. But mm-hmm. you know, Rabbi Lowe was a few, was hundreds of years ago, and references it, and that's a thing that they included. Sure, mm-hmm. choices were made. So prodigals, prodigals, the vampire ones uh, that kind of makes sense. The werewolf ones also kind of make sense, I guess. They mentioned the Glasswalkers, at least, which is like, yeah, out of all of the werewolves, those are probably the ones they'd bump into the most. I like that the uh, Knockers are aware of Victoria Station. And they visited it, sort of, or they've seen it. And they call it a very cool satellite. They've buzzed it. There's some metaphysical questions in this book that... Yes. Oh, I, I also like the book consistently throwing out just a ton of um, origin stories for the Knockers that are just completely contradictory, and almost all of them are clearly not correct. Mm-hmm. That's just changeling. Okay, yeah. uh, I I, I, pre- I appreciated that because yeah, it, it does draw like right here it draw in under ghost it draws attention to that Cornwall myth, but then it's also saying maybe we're from Atlantis, maybe we're from a planet between Neptune and Pluto, maybe we're the leftover shavings when trolls were made. Yeah, I, I like it throwing out all of those things. There is a nice note at the start of the history chapter as well, where they basically say, let the other kiths claim to be the, the first ones. We don't really care. We don't really care where we came from. And it's a little refreshing to kind of see that. Yeah, that's refreshing across World of Darkness. Like how many tradition books start with, well, we were first. Right. An iteration X claims to have come first. Come on. With the, what with their invention of hand axes and fire. Tool use. And our rivals are the dream speakers who also did that. Like, well... Okay. Yeah. Across World of Darkness, everyone seems obsessed with being the first and the oldest. And I'm like, why? Okay. Who cares? Like, at most recent, that was thousands of years ago. What have you done lately? Mm-hmm. How, how, how do I make a game about, uh, out of 
Well, maybe we were first in the Pleistocene. I'm sure you could, but... And maybe you even have the question of, was there a Pleistocene? But that's a separate issue. Yeah. And then we get into... Knocker Society, which is mostly about Knocker Science. Do, do you have opinions <laughs> on this, Charles? <sighs> did, did that sigh come through? Yes. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. But this section is where I kind of, I, where that switch flipped in my brain from, what are you saying about Jewish stuff to, have you ever heard of science? <laughs> which is impressive because it's still saying a lot of things about Jewish stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but this is the same sort of stupid things about Jews that like Crowley was saying a hundred yeah. years ago. Like, it's not part of the bundle of um, Jewish goblin nonsense that has been coming since 1999 and has not stopped to this day. Mm-hmm. You, you know what they really should have thrown in a mention of here? The Antithikaira mechanism. Uh, beautiful. Antikythera uh, mechanism. Yeah. I, I think that would have fit really nicely into this section. Yep. Instead of the entire sidebar on how much Newton sucks. You know what? A sidebar on how much Newton sucks is fine. I think that's a good thing and that more books should include them because Newton did really suck. I think it's fine in yeah. principle, but not at the expense of more useful stuff to the game. That's my opinion. <laughs> it's also not about how Newton sucks. It's about how Newtonian physics sucks. Also, I'm just going to draw some attention to the last paragraph and note that it says, there's a formula that sits somewhere between Einstein's theories of special and general relativity. Special relativity deals with the world of microscopic physics, atoms, electrons, quarks. General relativity is about yeah. the realms of astrophysics and cosmology. The two contradict each other in many ways. No. <laughs> if you just think of all of this as in character, and it's just a knocker who has really low background in academics and science, fine. But <laughs> no. But that, but that, no. no. Yeah. Like, this part is one of the less in character sections. Yeah. Yep. For the listeners who don't have scientific background, special relativity is just general relativity without gravity. They are not just compatible, but one is built on top of the other. What the author meant was quantum mechanics. Yes. But the author did not understand that they meant quantum mechanics. And when they start talking about things that are part of quantum mechanics, it shows. Yeah, they're just talking about special relativity. Yeah. But that's another two pages down that we start seeing them mm-hmm. you know, screwing up quantum mechanics per two. Something else that we get on page 27, which I feel like might be an interesting connection, not only to Mage, but also, Charles, to a Storyteller's Vault supplement that you produced. So the Knockers, some of them at least, have come across a realm that they call the Hieronymus Continuum, which is, I guess, the dreaming slash maybe umbral equivalent of the Platonic realm. It's not very thoroughly described, but do you see any potential for connection there? That struck me as a reference to there is a realm in Ma- in Mage. I think it's in the Book of Worlds already. That is also that is an umbral realm of invention, and I would imagine that if you can cross between the umbra and the dreaming, that would be a way to do it. Like the connection between these two places. But yeah, it does also have a bit of Platonic realm to it. You know, as you mentioned, I detail several parts of the Platonic realm in a Storyteller's Vault supplement t- uh, called um, Paradigm Explored Number and Shape, which is about mathematics as magic. If you just want some vocabulary for knockers to throw around, mm-hmm. it's on Storyteller's Vault. If you want to play a mage who does mathy things, well, again, it's on Storyteller's Vault. Link will be provided in the show notes. With that delicious, delicious affiliate code. Yes. Then we get into astronomy. Oh, and there's also a Steam Tech sidebar, because of course there is. But then we get into astronomy. I had no significant problems with the astronomy section. It wasn't. It didn't add much for me, I think. 
it didn't add much for me because I thought it was way too short. I feel like there was so much potential here. This is basically to me like yeah. Yeah, th- this could have been how to run a knocker spell jammer game, and then it wasn't, and I was annoyed. Mm-hmm. And it cer- certainly couldn't be in two thirds of a column, um, right? <laughs> which is what it combines across two pages. Like I'll say, if you go over to Werewolf the Podcast and listen to me help review Rage Across the Heavens, I rave about how great the Garu astrology section is. Mm-hmm. Having a knocker astronomy section that is as detailed as that would have been amazing. Yeah. Two thirds of a page, like a paragraph of which is just like Copernicus, Galileo, Kepler. They happened. You could have just cut this. It didn't add anything really. Yeah. I do like its connection though to the note earlier where they, they, whether or not you buy this or want this in your game, where they say knockers after World War II got involved in the space race. And so they sort of indirectly claim credit for the resurgence. I mean, that would have been something to explore. See, if you want everyone to hate the knockers, right? (laughs) If you want everyone to hate hate the knockers, have everyone who's mad about the she blame the knockers for the resurgence. Yeah. Although the resurgence is, yeah. It did bring a lot of glamour back into the world too, though, and reopened the dreaming. So silver linings. Yeah. Pluses and minuses. Yeah. But with the way that they're portrayed as, you know, antisocial and everyone hates them and they hate everyone back, you could have done something with this. Yeah. Speaking of pluses and minuses, though, on the next page, we have some flavors of monads as we get into talking about what's basically knocker particle physics. Thoughts? I have sighed again. <laughs> yes. So um, I, I, it's hard to tell where to begin. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll start with some petty things. It is weird that two of the that two of the pairs of monads are directions, and the other pair are not. It is also weird that quarks do that. So I get the reference <laughs> that they're not over and under. Uh, this would be a great place to say to bullshit something about four dimensions and the dreaming, but you know they didn't. Mm-hmm. Just for people who don't know these terms outside of this, you've got the six cardinal directions, you know, forward, back, left, right, up and down. And you should think of Anna and Kata as if there were another direction you could move in, it's forward and back in that direction. So it's a four-dimensional nonsense, really a great place to, to put some just absolute techno babble about the dreaming. Yeah, the weird and strange being truth and Gilgal. Yeah, so... I probably have to explain Gilgal and what it is in World of Darkness. So Gilgal is a Hebrew word. It means cycle, and it usually means the cycle of reincarnation of souls. It also is a word in mage for essentially the complete obliteration of a soul, which is perhaps the most incorrectly translated word ever. And the World of Darkness has a lot of examples in there. Also weird to stick it here, especially in contrast with weird. I also want to note that the weird uh, monad, which is apparently connected to the truth quark, quote, long sought by human physicists, <laughs> was isolated in 1995. I did a quick Google for news articles, quarks, and 1995, and it was actually all over science reporting that it had been isolated. Uh-huh. So we're, here we're running into a little bit of, well, Wikipedia didn't exist yet, so research was harder. <laughs> yeah. Well, Google didn't exist even. Yeah, well, and Google didn't exist yet. And yeah. even if Web crawling it, this is hard. Yeah. You could Alta Vista it, maybe. I was also reminded of that by the Heisenberg uncertainty principle section, because that metaphor about the billiard ball, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it was explained to me in like ninth grade science class and then was never mentioned again. So. Yeah. Someone had ninth grade science textbook 
misreferenced a few things. So while I do like the idea that um, the knockers are trying to understand and essentially classify how the dreaming and glamour works, do they suggest that this work might in and of itself be banal to like every other changeling? Yeah. Well, they, they were saying, yeah, they go through that. The other one I said, oh, science and technology is not banal, full stop. And yeah. they suggest in this chat, this part that science and banality is banal. It's trapped between first and second edition changeling. And honestly, I would actually be real, think it'd be a really interesting plot hook if Knocker Investigation into Glamour was glamorous for Knockers, but a banality trigger for everyone else mm. leading to tension. Yeah. But banality triggers don't exist at this point in the game as individualized things. Yep. So they couldn't do that. Yeah, it's interesting that they attempt to do this. I would have made it more by analogy with quarks rather than basically the same thing as quarks to the point of up, down, and truth are all the names of quarks. I, I should say truth is a, Brit- is a British English name for the quark. In American English, it's called top. Yes, top and bottom in American English and truth and beauty in British English. Aww. And I assume that uh, most of the Commonwealth follows Britain's uh, terms. I mean, they should have made weird strange. Like that at least would have. Yeah. Oh, oh the, the other thing is that there are strange and charm quirks. And strange does not pair with truth. Uh, so that's also a very um, choice. It's a very choice. <laughs> this book is full of very choices. Yes. That being said, I do find it charming that the attempt was made (laughs) you know i like the idea of the knockers being i think it's important to note that i find no charm on this chart fair you think with the way that changeling and this book in particular talks about knockers are ugly but then there's all this courtly romance stuff and so on they would if they're going to go this closely with quarks they would have used beauty Hmm. yeah the science stuff comes into two parts there's the incorrect when it's really easy to get it right I can forgive the author for not knowing that's you know about a discovery from two years earlier. That happens. But things like the special relativity when you mean quantum mechanics should have been caught by someone in an ideal world. And then there's things that are just like this six monad sidebar, which is just a missed opportunity. Like I, I could rewrite just this sidebar and I think we could end up with something just a lot cooler and more flavorful. And mm-hmm. that is a better commentary on how changelings relate to science. Uh, this sounds like potential for a story. Don't we say this too much, but potential for a story. Add it to the list. Yes. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with uh, knockers in one of my projects. So I will consider this mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I wondered about this is like, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense to have, have like this physically stuff in Kith book knockers, but it, also to me, I don't think that has to be exclusively knocker, but. Oh yeah. And I don't, know how generally the other kiths relate to science mm-hmm. in the modern world after all most of my changeling experience is second edition in which case the, the relationship of non-knockers to science is mostly run and hide uh, i know c20 fixed that which i'm glad about and from your reviews of books i know first edition didn't include it it's just a weird second edition artifact well it's also not as completely absolute in second edition yeah. either there's other threads of that like i guess what i'm saying is i'm not sure like what does a troll physicist look like yeah pick first as a satyr physicist probably based on but that's uh we'll get to that later i i think that we can all agree that satyrs would be in biology first something that has stood out to me kind of going through this book 
It's a very Chris Howard book. I don't know how else to put it, but it definitely shows all the hallmarks that I've come to associate with his writing, which is like, there are great ideas on every page. They're just not always fleshed out. And instead they get obfuscated by kind of the research rabbit holes that he seems to enjoy tumbling down without thinking too much about the repercussions of what it will mean to the reader. At the same time, he also kind of has like his own personal meta plot that weaves through this. So there's references in here to stuff that I don't think we ever see in any books except his, like Denizens of the Dreaming or Freeholds and Hidden Glens. You know, the Goblin Town sidebar on page 31, as we get into looking at Knocker Freeholds, it takes that chapter of his from two years prior and updates the storyline. So yeah, that's just something that stood out to me while while reading this. But then we have more about the other Freeholds as well. Lots of lots of wooden flooring, MC Escher stuff, booby traps. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you. Seeing there there is plenty of good stuff here. Like I don't want to say that there's that this book is just like bad. It's got some bad things in it, some very poorly considered choices in it. But like mm-hmm. overall, I'd say that the worst part of it is here's an idea. Moving on, here's the next idea. Could you develop right. that one a little bit? Maybe <laughs> tell tell me like a second sentence. Like, 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 if we go to page 32, we see the Hieronymus Continuum, two paragraphs, then the Hollow Earth, you know, quarter of a column, and then social structure, and you're just hit in the face with Bessadin again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But meanwhile, we had an entire column on the six monads, so... Yeah. Part of the thing I was, like, reading this, I'm like, this is not a mage book? It, like, let's suppose that sidebar worked well, right? I still don't know how I'd use it in Changeling. <laughs> I was just kind of thinking, like, depending how long of a timeline led up to this book's creation, it would be interesting if there had been some significant etherite thing, as we've discussed before. Certainly there was cross-pollination in the office between the mage writers and the changeling writers, directly or indirectly. So I'm wondering if someone was like, oh, you're doing Kith Book Knocker. you got to make it work like the etherite tradition book. In the mid-90s... You had, in particular, Brocado was bouncing between Changeling, Mage, mm-hmm. and Werewolf. Mostly Mage, but uh, but he was definitely a line tying ideas from one to the next. Yeah, he's not in the credits page of this one, which is actually surprising because he's on the credits page for most of the Changeling books. Like, additional material by, special thanks to, etc. It looks like his la- the last Changeling book he touched was uh, second edition, Core. Oh. Hmm. Ac- according to... His entry on the White Wolf Wiki, he developed Isle of the Mighty, had materials and contribution to second edition core, and uh, got special thanks in Kithbook Trolls and immortalized the toy box. And that was it for Changeling. But he was still bounced. I'm actually shocked that he didn't at least get a thanks in uh, Kithbook Satter. I think some of those might have been left off. Like, I think the wiki page might be incomplete because I feel like we've seen his name pop up more often than four or five times, but account will ensue later. Speaking of the knocker social structure, let's let's just skip right over the um, the best in yeah. part. <laughs> I just want to say, there is a thing that bugs me about that too, is uh, the banality of patent laws. Just anyway, that's just the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> totally separate from the appro- cultural appropriation. I just don't like knocker patent laws and stuff. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, that's... That's a weird choice, just going with patent law, and yeah, and again, more more Hebrew terms. You know, Dayan is judge in Hebrew. Just 
strange choices all around. Uh, the guilds are cool. Yeah, I like the them. guilds are actually one of the most useful pieces of the book, probably. <laughs> I, 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 so. I, I'm a weirdo who loves. I'm, I'm the weirdo who loves sub factions and sub factions and sub factions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's weird at all. I mean, I think it's you know it's great to have this because otherwise knockers are just undifferentiated within this book. They're bad tempered tinkerers. I, like I, yeah. I find it kind of disappointing that this book is. Um, I guess organized in the first and second editions black book style, not the the revised edition style, because then each of these mm. guilds would have had a two page spread. Right. And while to well, some point at some point that might be too much, there'd be like a little art piece. They'd have you know, and so on, and you know that's fun. At, at least one of these is not knocker, the monkey's paw, like that was around beforehand, right? Like it's at least not only knocker. Oh, knockers can be in it, yes, but it's not like a knock. I wouldn't call it a knocker group. That's what I meant. Yeah. And I, I, I know that it's definitely intending to lean towards um, a different sort of knocker than I have in my head, but I am picturing a knocker in literally that war machine that is on the, on page 34, trying mm. to be an assassin, and I'm just loving that. <laughs> nice. You have to kill your target. Okay. Do not just destroy the building they're in. I wasn't just going to destroy the building. They're in a small country, right? I think it'd be best if one of those arms was only actually useful for wheat threshing, like for, as a scythe for... Multi. I like multi-purpose knocker stuff. So just to summarize briefly the guilds that are here. So you have the Ethernauts, who are the scientists and explorers, and totally my favorites. The Builders Guild, who do construction stuff with Boggins and actually get along with them sometimes. And they also build the Dirigibles and Ornithopters. The Toymakers Guild, Weapons Guild, and Mining Guilds, which I think are all pretty self-explanatory. And then the disruptors are dangerous, unseelie knockers who despise the new loss of the she. And I don't really know what the point of them is. I don't know why they would be like. I think they're supposed to be like an alternative to the shadow court, but still tied to the Hororians. So I haven't read. I guess so. Yeah, because they talk about these just a company of twisted gearers. Yeah, but it's like if you want to play a goblin without playing a goblin, is kind of the feel I get from it. Yeah, and then the monkey's paw. I would have loved to see some kind of historical note that was like the guild system was how knockers kept themselves together during medieval times. Like that very structured meritocracy around craftsmanship and artisanship. It's like that that would have been such a great thing to dig into. But no, we don't get any of that. So I'm I'm also, you know, huge on crossover and this section isn't exactly without it by mentioning the Brethren of Aether. Two mm-hmm. other things I would do is one, I would have the Builders Guild have some vague mention of wizards they used to work with that seem to have disappeared as a reference to the craft <laughs> Yes. And the second thing I would do is some vague words suggesting that knockers may in fact be more connected to race than they realize with the guild structure oh. uh, persisting to the modern mm. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, if I'm going to, this is where I would mention the um, the Cornish story about knockers being mining ghosts. Mm-hmm. And I would just let some implications hang. That This is also connected to me saying that I would have knockers be more interested in the Slua. Mm-hmm. Mm. As I said, like Ma- Mage and Wraith are my two primary games. So I see a guild structure and I think, huh. It's also weird. That just reminds me earlier, the earlier part where they're talking about the Slua and it's like deliberately, oh, they don't tend to run into each other. I'm like... Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just say, at least say sometimes they do run into each other and interesting things happen. How, how yeah. about this? 
often we, we run in different circles in the slua, but every so often when a, when a knocker and a slua are together, strange things happen and the guilds keep it secret. Yeah, that would be amazing. One of the major flaws of this book, I think, is is kind of speaking to that. It doesn't give me a lot to work with to run a, a mixed kith game where the knockers aren't just pissing everybody off, except for, I'm ashamed to say, the courtly love sidebar. That gives me the most information about how to have a productive encounter between a knocker and another kith. And I hate that that's the section well, that does now that. now we know what games we need to have. yeah. It's not even a sidebar. It's like a whole Yeah, page. it's true. It's a whole bar. This is something that it drives me nuts when modern books do it. Uh, and a certain modern mage book has sidebars that are bigger than one page. And just, <laughs> it's a section. It's a section. Yeah. This should have been a section. Right. Yeah, it'd be easier to read. Or and, and other sections could have benefited from having this much detail. Like I would have loved to see this much detail when talking about Knocker Freeholds or Dreaming Realms or the code stuff, like any of that. Like, I will say the one thing that just got breezed by, that I'm 100% okay with it breathing, just breezing by, is the little two-paragraph section on page 33 on the Hollow Earth. Because yes, it's just, <laughs> I, I would say, drop a reference to a to the appropriate mage book and move on. Yeah. Like, like, it's not like mage doesn't reference changeling, book, changeling books periodically. Just say, if you care about the Hollow Earth, read Book of Worlds and tradition books, Sons of, Sons of Ether, and then you can move on. All the stuff that's original to the, the knockers needs detail. I was just saying, the Hollow Earth also doesn't need more because it would just be... It feels like you can generate that yourself, kind of, if you're not yeah. focusing on it. But why would you want to? I know the history. I, uh, the World of Darkness has enough words about the Hollow Earth already. Yep. And storytellers, in my experience, get very stressed about being consistent with the books, which they shouldn't, but they do. Mm -hmm. that, if, that instead of words a reference to where other people have written words is a good thing to have. Yeah. The attention to stuff like that, where the Hieronymus Continuum, the Hollow Earth, it's stuff that does have analogs in Mage. Again, kind of overall, this feels more like a Mage book than most Changeling books, with the exception of Isle of the Mighty. Which no one was happy with. Yeah. This is a rhetorical question, but what is the similarity or dividing line between some of the implications of like the deep dreaming blending into these realms that are sort of in the umbra and also outer space, which is also kind of the umbra. Like it kind of seems to be doing with those far flung deep dreaming spaces, what mage does with like beyond Jupiter or wherever the far horizon is, but it's the dreaming version. And I think it could benefit from kind of, articulating that a little bit more i feel like leaving the line so blurry actually makes it harder for someone to try and work around it so i will say that i think that having the lines be blurry is actually really helpful considering how many people do like running crossover games people like mm -hmm. running crossover games where you know the party is mixed not just the plot yeah that's true yeah and, and Changeling already throws enough roadblocks at that. It doesn't need more. <laughs> it's one of those things where when you look at the existing crossover mechanics that we get that are both inconsistent and often I don't think are helpful for running a game, I kind of prefer fuzzy over what they would have done maybe. But like I also think it's a thing that could be explored. If it's yeah, done I, right, I, it could be good. I think you can you can have fuzzy without being so vague that it's hard to even tell why the words are there in the first place. 
And I think yeah. this book tries to thread that needle without always succeeding. Yeah. Like I, like I will say that my view on what the, considering that this book does have a lot of mentions of mage stuff, my view on what the appropriate crossover rules for changeling basically that would fix a lot of problems basically boils down to prodigals are affected by the mists in exactly the same way changelings are. They all have ways to interact with chi- with chimerical reality, or they are when they're enchanted, they can be enchanted for a long time and go. That's kind of all you need to make to make changeling play well with others for crossover stuff. I would love to see just some kind of story hook or or mechanic or combination where it basically said if you go far enough into the dreaming and you find the Hieronymus continuum, if you cross into the Umbra, presumably deep in the Umbra, and make your way all the way back out, you're unaffected by the mists. So you've had this epic journey mm-hmm. all the way into the dreaming and all the way back through the Umbra, and that has allowed you to sidestep, you know, all of that. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other thing for our upcoming book on dreams and nightmares on yeah the mists and changelings in the dreaming that's another well if you're, if you're unaffected by the mist doesn't that mean that you can actually like learn what changeling history actually was there's unaffected entirely by the mist but i think you mean unaffected by what you remember while you're when you go to the deep dream and come back again you can't really remember what happened yeah. as a changeling look i i ban arcane in my mage games because it makes you know playing with others tough uh, and the mists feel a lot like it sometimes. Speaking of playing with others, courtly freaking love. Well, now we know where th- where changelings get their porn. Yep. Yeah. Which I, I I kind of I was amused by that the note like well we're the only ones that can get a camera to work in the dreaming so the satyrs pay us for filming things it's like yeah that that tracks and then it just gets weird really into specifically skunk puka. <laughs> Yeah, I really, that last paragraph, yeah. And what a note to end that chapter on, too. Like, seriously, the last paragraph of the entire chapter is like... Would you rather have this or the courtly love bit from Shining Host? Well, again, because this is a Chris Howard book, more through lines, more courtly love. Courtly love. Courtly love. (laughs) That would be great if courtly love That's a missed opportunity. Yes, that was a missed opportunity, given what it was. Well, we do turn the page to chapter three, and cadmium red is right there. And, you know, in terms of the similarities, I don't know. Some of these uh, knockers just look like Dr. Seuss characters. Some of them sound like Dr. Seuss characters, too. I do like cadmium red as a character, as a villain to be put into a chronicle, because she's like the craven and opportunistic, but really popular, populist, baroness dictatrix of Goblin Town. And now she's a Dantean and she wants to like tear down her former freehold. And I feel like that's fabulous. I want her to be an archvillain. And I don't think she's ever mentioned again. I, I do like the section in general shows that not all knockers are skinny. Mm. I also know this chapter is just super short and has no stats for any of these guys, which is a choice. That's that's normal for Kith. That's normal for Changeling? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They always do this for some reason. I appreciate there being someone named Maxwell Silverhammer because I think I'm the only one who likes that yeah. song. Apparently, I'm also inordinately frustrated by Doctor Tap having larger font than everybody else. I don't know if that's just my copy or. Oh God, I didn't even ah. notice, but now I can't not notice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> who did the layout on this? There's also notes that he might still be alive, which would make him in the upper three hundreds in terms of age. Well, there's fairy eternity and things like that. Well, it also would suggest he's out of his mind somewhere in a lost yeah. one freehold. So we have chapter four 
young cusses. Yeah, it's character templates. And on the, the splash art, there's that bear again. Oh yeah, the bear again. <laughs> so many people complain about Changeling about that bear when it shows up. It's true. Books. I don't know anything about this bear. It, it's like, I think it's the like key point in the argument for why Changeling doesn't belong in the world of darkness. Right. And it's got this bear. And I think one time he holds a balloon. Mage did not really give a credit to Mark Reinhagen. Like, that's a pretty strong argument. <laughs> he had a writing credit on four of the five core books, first edition. Yep. And then there's the weird one. Uh, so anyway, templates. They were fine. Like, templates don't get me excited, usually. The only one that I was actually really into was the aging Aethernaut. I really liked him. Yeah, me too. So there's a different stereotype. Rich British, old rich yeah. British man. Yeah. Like, or English man. He looks like the safari hunter from Jumanji. Yes. Yeah. But it's just, I mean, I, I don't think I would ever play this character, but out of all of them, he's the one that I think is the most fun. I mean, he has a blunderbuss and a trusty Bakken sidekick and his own balloon named the Icarus 7. Things like that are just wonderful details. He has a blunderbuss named Victoria. Yes. It's named. That's key. Work that one out, Dr. Freud. I, I could I could see playing him as an NPC in a game potentially. He's just so over the top, and Changeling yep. Changeling is probably the game Mage in a different way, but Changeling especially can handle over the topness better than World of Darkness games in general. Like I admit, I, I I kind of roll my eyes at um templates that have attributes at five, and this section does have a couple of those, including the yeah. the Aethernaut. It also has character sheets where they've decided mining, chimerical alchemy, and gematria are important things to have on the knocker sheet. Replacing we'll get to think, that. performance, law, and linguistics in this second edition. Thing. Oh, yeah. So, so what, they're going before the best din without law? That's madness. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, but apparently the knockers just treat it like a patent office, so... Well, I'm just going to say that the aging Aethernaut has intelligence 5. He should know better than to wear that mustache. It's true. Yeah, the dots. Uh, he also doesn't have drive, even though he has an airship. Things like that are a little. Also, not one of these templates is fashionable. Truth. Mm. Maybe the master thief. The Aethernaut, like the adventurous miner, is the least bad. Mm. But get some style. Have some pride in your knocker heritage. She's kind of like Angela Lansbury mashed up with Rosie the Riveter. The leash disruptor, I think, is not a good one to have just because it immediately puts the player in like a really difficult position narratively. And it's like, okay, you're this wild anarchist, nihilist, whatever, but you've you've been imprisoned and tamed and now you don't do that. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? character i guess it's supposed to be so like come to banality and try again next time yeah it, it reminds me of the kind of players that have had to veto dark fate for their characters yeah well it's it's a little bit like um suicide squad or thunderbolts like oh it's that it's that team of villains who are reformed but not really reformed and they could crack in any minute but it's just and the it one like guy he's, right. he's the only villain exactly and he's not even that much of a villain it's yeah yeah and and you can see the second, the fact that um, before C20, Changeling uh, seemings very much depended on age. Otherwise, this guy should definitely have be a grump. Hmm. Yeah. I'm just happy they didn't make him a childling. Although we do have a childling toy maker at the start. So. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. But I meant with just that backstory. It's like, ah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and out of what, five of these, there's only one childling. Yeah. Uh, one child thing, one grump, and the rest are wilders. It's fine. 
Which again is typical for changeling. Okay. Yeah, that's supposed to be what your PCs were, like the spread roughly. Huh, someone should tell that to the players. <laughs> changeling does mention elsewhere that one in 20 changelings is a grump and the vast majority are wilders, at least in this edition. So. Well, that that bears no similarities to the demographics of um, online changeling games I've seen. <laughs> Correct. And that was also in the nineties, and early when, yeah, right before they decoupled it from actual mortal age. Well, but I think also the demographics of players might be different now than it was in nineteen ninety-seven. But yeah, maybe. Anyway, chapter five, and then we get the bear <laughs> again. Oh this my bear gosh, shows up bear. a lot. I didn't notice. Looks like he's about to vote. Um, so we get some merits and flaws. The merits, I mean, so there's tunnel vision, which kind of gives you dark vision and other forms of enhanced vision. Speedy hammer, which makes you faster at big projects. Yeah. See, tunnel vision is, you know, at least is kind of a reference to that mining uh, source material, which yeah. there's actually not very many references to. There should have been more of that. If, there, if you're going to bring up that story, say something about mining. Yeah. I, I think there's like a miner's guild also. Well, they have it as a secondary ability, <laughs> or not even a secondary ability. It's on their character sheet. So. I, I'm just going to note that removing law and then having the flaw disbarred makes perfect sense. It all comes together. <laughs> <laughs> the flaws overall, I, I was like, eh? Yeah. But, I mean, the goblin magnet seems fun for, it get old pretty quickly, but. Yeah. I, I love how the main mechanical uh, consequence of foul mouth is that you should is that you should never waste your, sp- your points on a basilisk stone. Yes. <laughs> And if you think that any level of foul mouth is going to stop you from holding a job in human society, you have not seen auteurs. No, it says respectable job. Quentin Tarantino exists. Director yeah. is usually considered a respectable job. Just saying. And he was really big at this point in time. so Yeah. Be. It seems like two free freebie points to me. <laughs> Basically. Uh, well, there's, there's this whole other discussion about flaws. It's, this is the kind of thing maybe the other player should get the freebie points for that one. But. <laughs> Let's not dig into the philosophy behind merits and flaws and where, and how you should get points for them because that is an entirely different yep. thing than this book. Yep. So we get the golem background, which is kind of a mashup of treasure and chimerical companion. Does it actually, okay, golems, are they just chimera? Like, I, 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 does it ever say? Like, the cantrip's chimerical. Yeah. It is unclear to me. I mean, I would read it as they do have physical form. Mm-hmm. It says a bot cantrip roll means this animation process causes physical damage to the golem, so they have physical form. Yeah. yeah. So it's a treasure all time. Have... Okay. That's in- that that does count as intelligent life. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then the mining skill. Do we treat this as as powerful as stone lore in mage? It's clearly significantly <laughs> more powerful. How are you going to get the stones if you don't mine? It's true. One hour per success on dexterity plus mining. And then, oh, look, the hardest rock is difficulty 10, your favorite thing, Charles. <laughs> Just call it a coin flip and be done with it. He- heads I win, tails I botch. Chimerical alchemy. I-, I feel like chimerical alchemy would have made a better art than um, a knowledge. Well, this this whole, yeah, I have, I have strong opinions on all I these, do too. Except for mining less so, but the other one. <laughs> you do your firm opinion first. Okay, this seems like, hey, we realized we don't have Changeling. You can't actually do these cool things we want knockers to do. So let's just have you dump a whole bunch of extra points into things to do things that really the system should just let you do. I think that about sums it up. It has been pointed out 
that I think on the Discord channel too, that Infusion as an art was like creating new required systems for stuff that had never been required before. And I feel like Chimerical Alchemy in particular, because I don't think there's anything that actually necessitates it. Like Infusion takes Gematria sometimes, but Chimerical Alchemy is like sitting there waiting for crafting rules to be created, which we never get. Yeah, I know walking away from Arcadia, I remember they did a rant about this too. Like it's just pointless. And and the art of Infusion just doesn't work with all the other art, the way that most of the other arts work at all. Chimerical Alchemy to me, mentions that it's useless by saying that it's not the alchemy knowledge right, exactly <laughs> yep. like it knows that this doesn't do anything like my like mining the big difficulty is how do i make this relevant to a chronicle without making it a chronicle about mines yeah it's also it's it's worth remembering that at the same time this was being written the book that came right after it was dreams and nightmares which does have a much cleaner set and, and more developed set of crafting rules and i'm curious how the two books, how they interacted during the writing process as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's the Gematria knowledge and I'm not really sure <laughs> what it's supposed to be doing, honestly. It's, I think it's just supposed to be science-y grammar. It's just mm. how it always, and if this didn't exist in the book, I would always, anything that you would say that this makes sense to roll for, I'd be like, oh yeah, just roll grammar. I, I do love the um, possessed by sections, like skills, mining, possessed by knockers, red caps, and miners. <laughs> Chimerical alchemy is possessed by knockers. And Gematria, knockers, Talmudic scholars. Yep. <laughs> and meanwhile, if you look at what it describes as Gematria here, what does it say about Talmudic scholars? The quasi-science derives its mathematical language from the ancient, ancient Kabbalistic discipline yeah. of the same name. Traditional Gematria is a Kabbalistic language that converted names to numerical values for mystic purposes. Knocker Gematria creates a flexible yeah. mathematical framework for predicting the randomness of chimerical energies. That's a sentence that doesn't mean anything. Because they had chimerical alchemy, right? Yeah. Not regular alchemy. So yeah. are they saying, I think they are saying that Talmudic scholars and whatnot like actually have that whole FUBAR system and they use it for study Torah. Look, if Ars Magica can have actual game mechanics for Talmudic debate, I'm, I'm not going to... Whatever. <laughs> you know, the greatest mage who ever lived with Maimonides who fixed a vampire in, yeah. like, canon. Like, Define fixed. No, it's just it's just impure... It, putting this paradigm onto them is the, is the hilarious part. Everything is very strange. We just have to roll with it, I guess. I should point out, any good mage knows that the only real way to fix a vampire is to turn them into lawn furniture. Oh, also infusion. I know, like it's also broken. Like, I mean, it's changed like second edition. Of course, it's broken. But like level one harden is a very good combat art. You can just give yourself lots more health levels. It gets level two. Level one is what enables dream stuff to be forged, which seems like a really right, sorry. Level two toughens very. High. Yeah, is very handy. Well, and let's throw in that level three, you know, let's just like, poof, now I have a FUBAR. And considering that FUBARs are supposed to be like the power source for everything, this is infinite energy right there. Yeah. There's so many issues with this. You have to take Fae 5. And this was back when you had to have Fae 5 to use it. So you couldn't go above two without having Fae 5. It's powerful, but it's also very limited use. I can't yeah. imagine infusion being used except in a knocker heavy game where everybody really wants to roll play through all of the crafting with the exception of level two, because that is really useful in combat. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
it's so another thing I'm noting is that it seems to me like you can use infusion to just make yourself a better player character. If I remember the starting allocations right, you should be able to start with um, infusion four and Fey five, right? Infusion three, but yeah, you could you could with with bonus points, with, yeah, with you freebies get three points for free, but you could buy with bonus points. Yeah, but you but you can spend some freebies to get that fourth dot, sure. and then you can make a golem who has thirty six attribute points at five dots. Oh, absolutely, you have twenty four. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. Or well, you can just do chimerical companion and put five dots in that background too. But oh, but this lets you pump out multiple ones. Yeah, you can just do it again you, and you, again. You can just make yourself an army of better characters. Kind of like being a Samisi, like higher stats. Yeah. What's a Samisi without the same ethical constraints? Interesting. You should say that though, because I forget if it's in this in this part. Maybe it's under the level five. But they do kind of stress the the sort of parental responsibility aspect of creating a golem. And I'm actually glad mm-hmm. that's in there because players, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile and they would just make that army without thinking about you are the parent figure to these these beings that you have imbued with life. So Oh. Yeah. Well the most of the players I've had, that would be like their plus for why they do it. And now the game's about like golem daycare. Which is fine if that's the direction you want to go in. I read that Discworld book. I, I, I'm pretty sure there were like two Discworld books that basically revolved around golems. Yeah. Though I guess golems is the basis of a financial system. Um, mm-hmm. Discworld's great. Read Discworld. And then we have set. What's the etymology of that yeah. word? Tchotchkes. It's the Yiddish yeah. word tchotchke, just transliterated in the weirdest possible way. Okay. Tchotchke is a Yiddish word for like a small object that's more decorative than functional. It's like a trinket but you know yiddish knickknack maybe yeah it's similar to knickknack i don't know the etymology but wiktionary has an entry for it so let's find out it's from the yiddish tchotchke for trinket from the polish kako which also means roughly trinket how does wiktionary transliterate it out of curiosity (laughs) t-c-h-o-t-c-h-k-e that's how i've seen it before so that's how i think of it Though that transliteration is an alternate form. Hmm. I have literally never seen anyone spell tchotchke this way in my life. Yeah. But we do have quite a few of them. So uh, this is... Yeah, so there's lots of these, yeah. I don't know that we need to go into all of them, but do we have favorites to point out? Did we actually get rules for the computer earlier that the burst tapes reference? No, but there's the level three treasure, the analytical engine, which I guess is kind of oh, supposed to be. Right, never mind. There you go. Again, something that would have been nice to have more information on overall, but I guess in the 90s, computer stuff wasn't quite so central. I don't know. Yeah, you can see both digital web books to see how badly 90s takes on computer <laughs> stuff aged. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Chimerical Exoskeleton, not for it in and of itself, but because the image of a knocker in a Chimerical Exoskeleton just burning glamour to make it work to make it work on norm, on non-Chimerical things versus like an iterator in an Allison hard suit is just an awesome tableau to build a story around. I had a character that was trying to get one of those, and the ST just didn't want me to. And I was very no. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> I love the Chimerical Exoskeleton. I, I just think the fact that Mage and Changeling can cross over with mech fights is great. Yes. Yep. Things that you didn't know you needed until you did. There's the mundane weapons rule, which is just like, no. I actually, my favorites are, are paper-based ones, I guess. So I really like Goblin Parchment and, the, and then the astronomical and mining charts, but really the astronomical ones. I love the idea of an astronomical chart on Goblin Parchment, where it's as soon as its recipient gets it, they get to see 
the super secret path to some particular area of the dreaming before the parchment bursts into flame. Yep. That would be great. That that one actually just emphasizes to be a weird contradiction in the nature of the knockers as per this book, which is if they're so into mining and being underground, mm. why would they have detailed astronomical charts? Right. <laughs> As above, yeah. so below. Like, like the mining and the airships kind of work at cross purposes. Yeah. I realized I had a dream after reading this book for this for review for this that I was reading the section on knocker submarines and then I woke up and was very sad that it doesn't exist. I mean, it does exist in the dreaming. So, mm-hmm. But there's no, there's no section in this book on it. <laughs> I, I do like the section on knocker... Um airships that's like knocker vehicles in general just fun yep some of them are very um underdeveloped Mm. yeah it's like they kind of made a rule system like half a rule system they they kind of break them into classes and it's just like here's kind of just what these are like in general and here's a bunch of different possible ones and then you've got the ogre hunter mark (laughs) three which we've seen already in this book they've reused this art already i have the feeling that the balloons may get developed in the near future within the homebrew world, but I don't want to make yes. hard claims about that quite yet. So. Yeah, they need to use the common vehicle mechanics. You can have some sort of weird thing where a balloon and a car are chasing each other somehow. <laughs> and then, and, and then of course, finally the book ends FUBAR, which is fitting. I'd like to point out the artwork on the page with the FUBARs of like someone suiting up into a suit of clockwork armor framed by some lovely Tiffany lamps, which fits with the knocker's attention to fashion, I guess. So the Fubars here also count as, um, I can't remember the terminology, but they they have willpower, they have intelligence, they have all that stuff. And dexterity seven. Yeah, they're used as batter. They're just jammed into batteries and stuff, and that's okay. That's, a, that's ethically questionable. Yeah, considering that they, they had the big thing about how the, the ethics around the around the golems, and like they don't mention at all the ethics around Fubar usage. There is a sidebar during the infusion art write-up where it mentions capturing wild foobars as well. So they do occur in the wild, yeah. implying they have maybe yeah. they have a society of their own. Yeah. And intelligence too, I would expect as much. I mean, that's average human intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Like these are as smart as the average person on the street. Of course, those stats are their average, which yep. really, really makes a lot of things about this questionable. Story hook waiting to happen. Oh, they can. They also have the, all the weird read, so they can all physically manifest. Well, that's the thing, right? They're they're Will o' the Wisps, and that's how they mm-hmm. appear in the autumn world. And then we get the character sheet, which we commented on in the templates. Yeah. So I guess that's it. That's uh, that's the book. So Charles, if you were for some reason running a changing the dreaming game, how would you use this book? As a jumping off point, not I, I would use fairly little from the book as is mm-hmm. there are quite a few thematic themes that i like things in it that i like like the idea that it is important to knockers that they actually have a detailed sort of science of dreams has a lot of potential i don't like the specific way they did it but yeah. for me at least it's easy to come up with a fit with a fake science because i've been you know running mage forever i would possibly use some of the treasures some of the culture bits like knockers being all about fashion. Just mm-hmm. I love I love that little touch. It's mm-hmm. not like anything that I expected to read. It's just some great characterization for them as a kith. But by and large, 
I would probably ignore significant fractions of the book and replace and a lot of the stuff I don't ignore. I would ju- I would be using as a po- place to oh something should go here, not this, but something. Yeah. Uh, so as an outline for what knockers could be, like if the only thing I had were like the section titles and the sidebar titles and so on, it would give me a pl- it would give me a place to start. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the details I I, I would not use. Mm-hmm. Can I ask the sort of flip side of the question, given some of the problematic issues in this book, what in your estimation would be a better way to incorporate Jewish themes and Jewish history into Changeling? It's a big question. So <laughs> so that's a future storyteller's vault supplement. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm not even kidding. I've uh, Once I finish the project I am currently working on, the next thing I'm planning to work on is, generally speaking, Jewish themes in the World of Darkness books. I, I have notes for one for each game line, and Changeling is... And Mage is probably going to be first, because I know Mage Cold, mm. uh, but Changeling is quite possibly going to be the second one that I, that I focus on, uh, because I have strong ideas about Jewish dreams. I'm still thinking about how I want to incorporate knockers into that, or if I just want to have a sidebar saying, just ignore Kith book knockers. <laughs> no. Yeah, like I get the impression, at least this is what I would think, it's like, okay, you could play a Jewish knocker, just like you could play a Jewish troll mm. or a Jewish Uka or whatever, right? Yeah, you, you could certainly play a Jewish member of whatever kith. Be careful about some of them, like if you have a Jewish red cap, maybe don't eat babies. That mm-hmm. that, that, that gets into some bad, some bad uh, tropes. Do a bit of research. Uh, I'm generally not a... You need to go and read 1,300 books before playing a character of a different um, culture than you uh, type of person because that discourages people from even trying. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure you know what the tropes to avoid are. Like, again, you know, eating children is something that has been that Jews have been accused of, just in case, I'm going to say falsely, <laughs> and it has resulted in quite a few problems uh, historically, let's go with. Mm-hmm. Uh, keyword, if you want more information on that, is blood libel. Like, if you want to keep the knockers as Jewish, make them maybe less greedy. That's really one of the weird red flags. And be very conscious to make sure that they don't borrow from the sorts of depictions of goblins and other media that was released in 1997. That that one's especially sensitive because it's something in that media empire coming out this year is extra super bad on this topic. I, yeah. feel, I feel comfortable making an executive statement. And Josh, you can... I think you'll support me on this, but... If anyone listening to this podcast has any inkling that any of these like stereotypes and awful tropes have any element of truth, you can just you can leave our podcast right now. Yep. I think what happens a lot is people aren't thinking it through and they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that what happened with this book was less it was less malicious and more I think of research as having levels and first level research was done, but second level research wasn't, and second level research would have said don't do this. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a common theme in the world of darkness, unfortunately. It's also pretty indicative of yeah. how in the same way that we have systemic racism, we also have systemic anti-Semitism that finds its way through all this stuff, you know, which people don't always realize until they dig into yeah. it. Yeah. If you're drawing from cultural, you're like, oh, I saw this in a movie. I'm going to put it in my game. Right. In my book. And you don't know where it came from. That's dangerous. And when you throw in the fact that the world of darkness is built on conspiracies and so on, you you get to some sketchy places pretty fast. And mm-hmm. but on the plus side, the book doesn't have an ethics slur in the title. World of Darkness has not always managed that. So you know, yeah. Just given the baseline of how bad World of Darkness has been on an issue like this, just a reminder: 
it could have been worse. Yeah. Like this, this, this book was almost certainly produced in a well-meaning way without doing sufficient thought. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, that is a common problem across World of Dark- uh, Darkness. And I am willing to be charitable on that, especially be- for people who were writing in the 90s when research was more involved and meeting people who were very different from you was more difficult and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if, if this came out, today i'd have a much oh. i don't know about you but i'd have much yeah i'd be less charitable towards it today yeah but i think the thing i'd be least charitable about is we found the truth quark 30 30 <laughs> like come on look at wikipedia uh so the thing that i was i'm most forgiving for 1997 is the thing i'd probably be least forgiving for 2023 yeah fair so we do have two discord questions which are kind of the same question i think or two parts of the question from Sanchiger. So why is Infusion the best art for playing chimeric necromancers? And then also from Sanchiger, Infusion and Gematria. Why? Thoughts on these? I'll answer the second one first. I'm pretty sure the answer, as far as um, the authors are concerned, is why not? Mm-hmm. I, I sort of said this earlier, but my theory is it was trying to add a system by here buy these things instead of let's create a system using the existing stats yeah it didn't need to be an art certainly yeah and and also i'm going to say in the interest of um being charitable i suspect that all of that things like that and all the golem stuff and so on probably uh, chris howard thought oh if D has this so fully divorced divorced from mm-hmm. you know jewish stuff and it's wrong i should include it here and try to get it right and then you know yeah but like, if I'm going to be charitable, read things charitably, and I and I I try to because I hope people will read my stuff charitable because I know I'm going to screw up. Uh, we all do. You know, there's a very real chance that this was. Well, I've got the people that might make these things in Changeling. D and D gets this wrong in this really obvious way. Maybe I can do better. Mm. Good try. Didn't work out. A swing and a miss. Yeah. And as to Sandshaker's first question, uh, yes. There's not much alternative when it comes to. Yeah, I mean, now, in a sense, you could use certain arts to communicate with ghosts or do whatever. But if you were to actually, like, raise the dead, I could see a knocker cobbling together some kind of foobar-powered exosuit to lift up a corpse. And you do want to start with Harden as they're, like, melting away. Mm. But I think also Sanchiger was the one who pointed out that these are features that actually remove functionality from the game, creating rules that add constraints that didn't need to be there, so... A lot of it could have been handled by existing arts. I'll be interested to look back at Infusion when we get to the C20 Player's Guide, because I haven't looked at it carefully, how they changed it. But Yeah. Well, to return to the comment that you just made, Charles, about you know wanting, wanting other people to read your work charitably, what are some things that you're currently working on, and where can people find you around the interwebs? So I, I did mention briefly earlier that I'm planning for serious work later this year on you know jewish world of darkness material right now i'm trying to finish up a big mage storyteller's vault supplement reworking the entire focus system the supplement is a lot bigger than the job actually is because the rules i have for it are not that complicated but i decided to update and add detail to literally every example that had that had appeared so that people would see what flavor to give things I hope people like it because otherwise I have spent months <laughs> writing something useless. Uh, I also have a Patreon. My patrons do seem to like what I've got so far. So that's good. I, it's, uh, 
I'm just Charles Siegel at Patreon, and I'm around on Discord. I'm periodically active, let's say, in the Changeling the Podcast Discord. Like, I'll not say anything for weeks at a time, and then, like, for three days, you'll hear nothing but me. But I, I am much more active in mage spaces, but Changeling, and including reading Kithbook Knocker carefully, carefully and because I'm that sort of person, I cross-referenced other books uh, period- periodically while reading it to see do I understand something correctly or here's the thing that they just reference uh, what's actually going on there, things like that. I think once I'm done with this writing sprint, I'm in the middle of, I'm probably going to give changing a, another uh, pass through. And it has inspired me to include a knocker as the um, antagonist of a game. I'm, I'm about to run Ooh. in a, the, in the Victorian setting. Nice. Oh, a Victorian knocker thief stealing the plans for an analytical engine from the order of reason. That sounds perfect. Right on. Yeah, you can find us at changelingthepodcast.com. You can email us podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. We're on Facebook, uh, Changeling the Podcast. You can send us a toot um, <laughs> at changelingpod at dice.camp on uh, Mastodon. I'm never going to get used to that being the term of record. The, I listen to a tech podcast and they just they used to make jokes about send us a tweet and now he's just like he does it he just says send us a tweet and he starts giggling it's anyway yeah so once again i think thanks for joining us charles uh i'm josh i continue to remain allegedly puka yeah and uh don't mess up the directions of your monads make sure your airship is well fueled and provisioned and never lose track of your submarines We'd like to take this opportunity to express our support and admiration for the most excellent company of Mongol Fierians, Concordia No. 47, our local union of knocker balloonists extraordinaire, without whose expertise the trods to that most sublime dream realm of balloon would remain as yet unexplored. We'd like to reassure that capable bunch of fae that their efforts to evangelize the glory of balloon and its many permutations, not to mention their manifesto in favor of cleaner, more colorful airways, have not gone unnoticed, for although they are knockers, we consider their words to be an uplifting force and not just a bunch of hot air. If you'd like to help us help them in turn, you can visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com changelingthepodcast, and as a side benefit for signing up, your support enables us to continue bringing you fae-flavored whimsy and delight each week. Our patrons also get a shout-out at the end of each episode, which goes something like this. Derek, Dorchidas, Oreo, Razkabuz, Sandshaker, Sija, and Terry Robinson. Thanks bunches, you all. And if you aren't able to patronize us at this time, we still appreciate reviews of our podcast on the listening platform of your choice, or just some word-of-mouth advertising to your boon companions and dire enemies alike. Cheers, and until next time, keep on dreaming.